0: everybody and welcome back to the Photo and Taken podcast. This is still season two. Long hiatus, sorry about that, but today we are back and we have one of my favorite people in the whole world, Michael Scott Evans. I actually just call him Scott Evans for the same reasons you're thinking. But Scott has been a photographer for over 20 years. I met him, gosh, a long time ago. We started out as uh, him kind of like assisting me and then it went from him assisting to shooting while he was assisting me. And then he just built his commercial career out of, you know, doing his own things. When he first started, he worked at a newspaper like we all did. We all have to start our build somewhere. Scott started his working for newspapers in Williamson County here in the Mid-South area of Tennessee, and then moved over and made the jump to commercial photography. From there, we just hung out. That's the best way to describe it. We hung out for years, traveling, shooting, shooting having a great time so today on the podcast we share stories of this really actually pretty crucial time in my career too because there was uh, a lot of changes and things that happened to me while uh, I was in my the middle of my build and at the same time in the middle of Scott's build so he kind of went from assisting to having his own commercial career and then from there he has now built it down to where he shoots a very specific thing and that's comedy. He loves comedy. And so today we talk about this on the podcast episode. It's really interesting because I've said this forever. The quicker you are to niching down, um, the quicker you are to your own happiness. And so that's what we talk about doing something that you love and just kind of leaning in on that and making a career out of it. That's what Scott's done. So today on this podcast, we talk about how to build your dream portfolio and, um, I hope you enjoy it. Hey everybody, it's Alan Clark with the Photo Untaken podcast. And today my guest is Scott Evans. Scott, welcome to the podcast, man. How are you doing? Hey man, thanks for having me. Can you remember the first time that you actually picked a camera up in your hand? How old were you? What was the situation? You know, what was your, I guess, you know, your favorite memory of that?
1: It's probably my dad's camera. He had two Pentax cameras. They weren't the K one thousands. They're a little more highbrow than that. He kept them in like this James Bond, like stainless steel briefcase. Dope. Yeah, and it had the uh, the styrofoam cutouts, so you little cube cutouts. Yeah, yeah. So they're form fitting. Well, just on occasion, he let me use it, and I used to carry it around middle school and um, like my freshman sophomore year of high school. And actually, my first—the first photo of a band that I took was in high school.
0: So, that's yeah, and not- I was always jealous of that. I remember you told me this before, and I, I didn't even take pictures until, gosh, it must have been two, maybe, probably closer to three or four years out of high school. So, I was always jealous of you being able to start like much sooner with that than I was.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yet you've achieved more than me, so I guess we're even. <laughs> so. I don't know about that. I was being polite thanks man thanks man
0: when now a lot of you don't know there was a movie filmed here gosh what year was that scotty It must have been like 86 or 87 when at close range was filmed because that was about the same time that you picked up a camera that you were actually in a movie 1985 it was filmed here in franklin tennessee where you grew up and that's where you went to high school and that's where you kind of had your Formidable years, as a lot of people would say.
1: Yep. I remember because during the breaks, I was uh, sitting in my friend's Mustang. He had a 64 Mustang. Three, you rocked a, probably a serious mullet. And I believe you played drums, if I'm
0: not mistaken. Yeah. Were you so already again. in a band? Were you already in a band by this point? Uh,
1: actually, my cool friends were in a band, and I tried so hard to get in it, and I couldn't. And then, yeah. actually, as soon as I did, they broke up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so they <That> was- reformed. <laughs>
1: A new band was, without me.
0: What was their old name?
1: Into remember. You, actually. So That's they uh,
0: they broke up and reformed a band called the New Into You.
1: <laughs> it was actually cool because the it was the age of U2. So it was the letter N, then a, a 2, like H2O, and then U yeah. above that, Into nice. You. Yeah, it's pretty cool. How many times did you write that on your notebook?
0: Uh, a lot. <laughs> Trapper <laughs> Keeper
1: trapper keeper oh my gosh at this point were you taking a lot of photos or were you just taking a few I just take them casually like i would take it to school i shot the band in front of elston place uh, when they played their first show i think it was spring of 88 that was my first band photo ever and i just shoot around the house or i'd just shoot i don't know just whatever was happening i never went to a barn or like a a graveyard i don't know that, that's the places you probably wanted to
0: (laughs) try to fight the urge you had to fight it and it's funny because the the photo of the band that you took in front of the elston place it was from uh, in front of the end i believe right yeah it's the end now it's the end now but back then i don't remember what it was called it was elston place it was elston Elston square square and my friend's band was on the marquee behind that in the photo that's right uh we didn't know each other then, but my friend's band, uh, Alan Johnston, had a band called Rumble Circus. That's right. And that was what was hanging up on the marquee behind you, weirdly. And that's where I saw my friend, Billy. Uh, he had a uh, Roloflex, just like the one kind of hanging out back here on the shelf. And I was just like, wow, man. Because I, yeah, the, the whole look down and all that. And I think he probably bought three rolls of film and he shot pictures of Rumble Circus and they were really good. Uh, I don't know if Billy ever became a photographer, but that's what I watched. So we both had that same kind of or similar, I guess, upbringing. And and then also just somehow a camera got into our hands. When did you get bit by
1: the bug? uh, When it came time to choose a college, I thought, uh, well, my mom wanted me to be a lawyer. And I didn't want to go to college. (laughs) So I thought, you know what? I'll be a photographer. I don't have to go to college. I don't need to learn anything. Actually, it's funny because I had gone to I'd gone to Belmont for uh, music business and took intro to recording studio, uh, copyright law, and I was dealing with all these musicians. So I left, took some photo classes at Belmont, and now, ironically, I am working with those same people. Just a different capacity. So Scott and I both live in Nashville. Most of you either know that or,
0: or have taken a hint by now. But the photo one taken has been, gosh, this is the second. Really, technically, it's kind of the third season of the photo one taken. Uh, COVID killed, gosh, two years off the time clock for me, and we're starting back up again. And I thought I would have, I kind of, this time around, I'm just like, you know what? There's no rules with this. I've, for a while I was interviewing and spending time talking to you know, international photographers, people that really had nothing to do with this town that we live in Nashville, but now I just don't really care. That's what, it's what I do. And also I just want to interview and talk to artists of all types. Cause the biggest thing that we talk about all usually is just, you know, the motivation to do the thing that we love. And then how do we keep going? How do we keep doing it when either we don't have the inspiration or the right amount of money or whatever it is that we're seeking, how do we get past that or, sometimes it's kind of a glass ceiling we've made for ourselves because we don't charge enough, you know, and that's kind of what happens. Uh, We'll jump ahead a little bit, but basically he grew up the same way that I did, which is we found our love, the love of our life in high school really. And it's really been photography for the both of us. Uh, I didn't meet you until late nineties, the fall of 99. Okay. So late nineties. Oh yeah. Yeah and we hung out for a while and i can't remember do you remember the first time i ever
1: asked you to go on a job with me or i remember the job i remember the job specifically no it was you were shooting something i forgot who the client was but we we had flown to knoxville flown we drove to knoxville uh, shooting something for was it it wasn't pat Pat summit Summit? yeah yeah it was well but wasn't her though. We, we were, we did summit. We shot the, I guess the stu- top of three
0: basketball players on the team. Yeah. Uh, but she was there. I remember she was there. She was there. She was <laughs> giving us looks. Yeah. Giving us the dirty Pat Summit look.
1: But I remember that that was the first time that you talked about slowing the shutter speed down mm. to get more light because you put the was it three, three players in mm-hmm. the middle of the court. Hmm. And you lit them front, right side, or whatever. And then you would slow the shutter speed down to get more light behind them. And it's funny. It's
0: funny when you're doing, when you're mixing ambient light, and the ambient light in a gymnasium is never good. It's those weird sodium potassium lights, or whatever they call them. And it's always green or some weird color, version of pink. And, but if you don't bring too much of it in, it won't it won't suck and it won't look horrible, <laughs> you know, but you do have to bring it in because we all know that the gym doesn't look like that. And so when you're mixing light together, um, it's it's just important for you to kind of always remember what something really looks like, you know, and I've always said that photographers are always trying to make things either look lit, like they've actually spent the time or that you can tell they've lit it with a light or they're trying to make it blend or where mm-hmm. you can't tell, that they're lighting at all and that was that that time for me I remember that and I was still I don't think that was I was a few years in by this point so I think I uh, was still trying to mess around with it and I had perfected it a little bit not a lot but uh, was that the first time you'd ever seen that
1: yeah yeah I was matter of fact on the drive back um that's what I was going back and forth like what what was he saying and why cuz I didn't understand if you slow the shutter how, how are you getting more light in You know, it's almost
0: like a sliding scale, you know, because strobes, people don't ever, it always cracks me up every time we're on a shoot. And yeah, I know you've had this happen too. When someone comes up to you and they're like, do you want me to turn off the overhead lights? Or do you want me to turn off the stage lights? Or do you want me to, and I'm always like, no, it's good. I just say, no, it's good. And I don't say a 10 minute long sentence of why that doesn't need to happen because it's just a waste of your breath. And so I'll just say, no, it's good. We're good. But in actuality, what I want to say is strobe lights, you've seen it when you're you know, shooting photographs or whatever, and not just you, but like universal you, like anybody that's involved with photography. The, the royal you. Yeah, the royal you. It's like, boom, You know, that it makes a noise. You can actually tell if you turn or power it down or power it up, the louder the pop most of the time, the more, the less the power. And that's just an audio kind of sensory thing you know, for you to be able to tell how powerful something is, but it always cracks me up because strobes are so powerful and people just don't – they just don't know how powerful strobes are. And you have to really dial it down to make it – because, you know, those girls, if you remember, God, the light had to have been 10 feet away from them. So I had to reach them with the light. But at the same time, it's still more powerful than the gym light that was happening. And so if you shot with one big light to three girls on the middle of the – basketball gymnasium floor it's going to go dark everywhere around them it'll look like they're just in a sea of darkness outside of where the light spot is actually hitting and so to mix it to make it again look like more normal that's why you mix the light i always thought it's weird for you to make people where you can obviously tell they're lit by a studio light it's almost like you're not really doing the photo itself justice or something i don't know what is your Mm -hmm. opinion on that on all that not on all that just mixing light mixing no, light to actually make it look actually, real or make it
1: look not lit or what? You know, i've been I've, I've been saying this for years i've been ripping you off this whole time that's all i do i love shooting with one light as long as there's enough light behind the subject yeah that's my bread and butter i love mixing the light i think
0: i was always repulsed by Early, early wedding photographers. A lot of you guys didn't have to suffer through the early wedding photographers like we did. These guys were putting hair lights. Now, a hair light is, so like right now, I've got this light hitting me from the front. But old school photographers used to take another light and they would stick it back in this back corner. or I just had a frame or something and there'd be another light just banging down from right here, hitting me in the back of the head. And they did that because people with dark hair, like right now, Scott could actually... Use a little bit of a hair light. Where, do you have your phone with you, Scott? Yeah. Yeah, turn your phone on and turn the light on on your phone and just put it on the back of your head. And so, photographers, see how it highlights the back where you can see the hair and the hair separates that looks,
1: from. That actually looks pretty good.
0: You know what I mean? And that's what the hair light would do. That would, The hair light would serve as that function so that you could separate Cause Scott's got dark hair and that's what they were trying to do. But they would put it on everything. They would texture, it would stick on bald. Look at that texture. I know it's dope. <laughs> but they would put it on everything and they would stick it on bald dudes and they would put it on people that had light colored hair or blonde hair or silver hair. And they were just putting hair lights on everything. And what happens is all of us and Scott, you can attest to this photographers sometimes get into this little loop where they do the same damn lighting over and over and over and over and over and over and over over again until a point where they just, it's almost like you can just see the love draining right out of their photographs. <laughs> you know what i mean actually
1: just- no you're you're the one who actually i thought that you would have to just put lights on the subject like over light mm-hmm. you know like like the like the the hair light whatever but after watching you work that's when i realized it's okay to use one light you don't mm-hmm. have to doll it up it's overkill
0: and there's also a trick you can do with one light to where you can take it like right now well i'll just again show you right now so this light right here is very small you can see it in my glasses right here so you can it's got a little honeycomb grid on it it's probably not much bigger than my yeah it's definitely bigger than my head but you as you see <laughs> you can see like this blue light right here gets brighter I'm turning it around and I'm facing now I'm facing that way but with this light right here oops you can go you can see now, if I turn it towards this wall behind me, you can start seeing the light. It's starting to light up this wall now a little bit more or the chair right here behind me. And I don't I don't need that. I don't want that. So I'm just pushing it back that way, see how it's darker. That's what you're doing a lot of times. You can take a monolight and you can just aim it towards the background and kind of cheat a little bit so that you can throw the light behind me a little bit more and it lights the front and the back behind me. That's why I always thought it was pretty fascinating about lighting is that you can kind of just change the lighting entirely by just moving it around a little bit, making it brighter and making it look more awesome. And and you don't have to do a lot of elaborate lighting like Scott is saying. I always felt like a lot of photographers would have like 15 lights on something. I always felt like they were doing it just because they could. It's, it's like they just bought a Corvette when they turned 50. <laughs> What is that? Like every 50-year-old, I didn't get the memo, you know what I mean, or something, I don't know what happened. I I don't really have a, or need or a want to get a Corvette, but every time you see a Corvette driving, it's a white, old white dude that's 50 year older driving a Corvette.
1: It's always old white men. Stupid. What the hell? What is that know. about? I don't know. But you know what? You and I should go win on a Corvette. <laughs> we should share. <laughs> I'll get it in the week, every other weekend. Cool. It will resent me
0: later in life. <laughs> did you, the whole time you were working with me, you were still shooting too. And you were trying to figure out what clients you wanted to work for. Can you remember some of your early shoots that you got paid for? What were some of the early stuff that you did where, when you mm.
1: were like starting? So I actually was shooting, uh, shooting for a lot of the local magazines. If there was a food mm. feature. I would shoot that. If there's a home feature, I'd shoot that. I wasn't shooting a lot of people interestingly enough i didn't yeah it was weird if uh, if the magazine wanted to feature some up-and-coming hipster restaurant i would shoot a piece of their cake or whatever i didn't really shoot people and thing is i was shooting with two umbrellas even when i met you i was shooting with two umbrellas Mm -hmm. and that's it how did you start or why did you start with that like who told you about that a friend of mine you remember uh you remember our Pal Gary Welling? Oh, yes. Remember Gary? Hey, Amen. Yep, um, well. Yeah,
0: Gary Welling, who would pop he, into Dury's on the reg.
1: Yep, he had two umbrellas, and okay. I'd always have to borrow his lights or rent rent his lights. And he would have these big, like bucket white lightnings. They don't, okay. don't even make them anymore. But he had uh, two. Was umbrellas. it those white ones? Those white yeah. ones. Yeah, they're I called ten, those. They called ten thousands. White lighting ten
0: thousands. There wasn't ten thousand of anything in these inside the electronics of this, by the way.
1: Ten thousand tears. oh I just I thought that's what you do. You Put yeah. up two umbrellas and, and then you come along and you talk about bending light and shaping light. I'm like, who is this freaking hippie? No, that's what I was doing. And everything looked the same. Everything was overlit. It was well exposed, but. Mm-hmm. I am convinced if I hadn't met you that day, I don't know where I'd be now. I'd probably be down the street washing dishes because I wasn't looking at other photographers. I wasn't.
0: uh, Why is that?
1: It's more of a probably a self-esteem thing. You you look at photos that you can't do. You don't know how to do it. And then you just feel bad about yourself. And I just got over that like six years ago. Yeah. Now I welcome it. I think it's great because I've embraced the fact that we all have different styles. Yeah,
0: because, exactly.
1: Just Because this guy shoots one way doesn't mean you have to, that's just the way he shoots. Yeah. And somebody may look at me and say, I wish I could shoot the way he does, or look at Alan Clark and say, I wish I could shoot the way he does. So I just embrace that. And now I welcome all photographs, but uh But no, it wasn't until you showed me a softbox. Yeah. Because the softbox, as you doesn't spread the light so much. With an umbrella, it's like... Umbrellas like shooting with an automatic weapon. You aim and shoot, you can hit everything.
0: Yeah. It's like a Thompson gun or something.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, It's funny because in my early build, like in, in my early part of the career, when I was just starting out on my own, I spent a lot of time lighting with a ton of different lights i wanted to know what it was like to overlight and have very specific lighting and i would take jobs sometimes when it was in over my head a little bit like i remember taking one job with a friend of mine who's a graphic designer and it was called delta machinery and it was a tool catalog and i just was like yeah i'm gonna do crazy lighting and do all this expensive crazy lighting on it and I just remember thinking, I, I don't, I shouldn't do this. This is way in over my head. But I <laughs> wanted to try. I wanted to try, and I can remember using strobe, tungsten, every light we could find, every light we had at our will, and it would just—I would used everything, and it took everything to get these things. It was taken. I remember we, I want to say we did 21 tools, and we would do a three-hour light setup per tool, oh my and we try to do we try to do three a day. I think it took us 12 days total. I'm probably screwing up the timeline, but I learned so much about lighting during that time, about where and how you had to do it. Because back then, Scott, remember we had flags, and we had black tinfoil, and we had cardboard. We were using anything we could. I can remember even like putting my hand up. I was like, I can either take 10 minutes, find another stand, and try to put this up or just use my hand to block whatever I'm blocking and we were doing all of it and i probably somewhere have a contact sheet or a polaroid of how complicated these lighting setups were and it took a while to do this i used a couple of different assistants on it and uh, it was really complicated but i'm so glad i did it because i would still use multiple light setups but i would mainly try to do like you said where i was using mono light because i really wanted to perfect mono light for myself and just see how much she could do because I don't think it was a lazy choice although it could be viewed that way just using one light because it doesn't take near as long it was more of a artistic choice for me I wanted to see if I could get away with with doing a lot with very little I've always been into that I've always wanted just like the Beatles recording on four tracks I wanted to see if I could do a lot with a little so I would never try to buy the most expensive camera I would never try to over I would never try to, I would just do what I could because I wanted to see how much talent I actually had if I did more than the average person with very little tool. So that was always appealing to me. It's pretty deep. Yeah. It was just a kind of internal little challenge I was doing for myself the whole time. Uh, and I kept that monolite thing up for a few years. I still like to do it occasionally. I still have it as a, probably a look. If you were to say had a look it would be that would be part of it and then I know the headspace part of it just because I work for so many magazines I know that that was always a big deal and I'm leaving all that negative space but so back to when you were starting your career can you remember some of those early jobs outside of the newspaper stuff you got before you met me can you remember I think you said you were doing Interior, not interiors, but what would you say? Food? Did you say food? Do some. It would be more like a restaurant feature,
1: right? Right. You know, and a home feature. Like if someone is uh, designing their uh, their house in Greek Revival, they send me over mm-hmm. to do a do that. And I was comfortable photographing interiors. I'm st- still not, but I. <laughs> I have clients who hire me to do it, but uh, but it's, it's just hard to what, do. It is. Is really it is really a lot of work, man. It very. Here's the, I think here's the secret to shooting interiors. If you had the budget to go in and replace all the bulbs with the same color balance, yeah, With the white balance, then you wouldn't have all this mixture of light. Back then, I, I had no idea about white balance or color. I know
0: a lot of people will just go in and do a tungsten setting, even if it's wrong, or something to where it would color all light. You know what I mean? Where mm-hmm. Uh, you can go into your camera settings and you can kind of mess with i don't know just going in and affecting the kelvin as one of the white balances or you could go and just choose the color setting like a tungsten color setting and the white balance and it it puts an overall color on top of everything and then that way you can come back out of that and raw and fix that and do some stuff to it. There's a lot of little tricks people are using because you can't get around. Uh, you'll get it like I just shot the Hermitage Hotel recently and it's just it's impossible. I was going to light it with all these lights and it was just easier to use the room light, throw uh, one of the white balances on it that just gave it an overall color so then that you could take that color back out. And that was one of the easier ways to do it. Just like on, on a tripod, shoot it on a tripod and just try to... Slow the shutter speed down, and all the things you got to do when you're doing this, because it will take four hours to do this, or it will take four four minutes, kind of thing. And you're in a hurry, and you've got a, a long list of all the different setups you've got to do. Here's the bar, here's the dining room, here's a close up, here's a table by itself, and so you're trying to just pile through this stuff, and you, it's hard to do it. Um, but you're right, interiors are really difficult, and it's just all this lining things up and Spatial dynamics and all this stuff. It's like a like when you're done with those shoots, I mean, your brain is tired. You go home and your brain just wants to fall out of your head. Yeah, it's like, like shooting a wedding. You're You're constantly on. Do you remember any moment when you thought to yourself, I'm starting to really gain some momentum here. I'm starting to really gain client base. You know what I mean? Like where you felt like it was kind of latching on for you.
1: Yeah, about six years ago, which seems very late in the game. But I don't think so. I've been doing this for quite some time, and it's just, you know, I had the knowledge. You know, I had you as a as a, uh, as a resource. But for some reason, like the last six years, just a light switch went off, and mm. all of a sudden, it felt like I got it. What was it? What, what was the big
0: gotcha moment? What What was it? You can, can you remember?
1: Uh, actually, no, I can't. Um, I've tried to sit down and think, about when that moment was. But when I get to that moment and think back when did the light switch go on, I was already in the moment and it's hard to pinpoint when that was, but it definitely helped my confidence. So maybe whenever that moment was, my confidence went up. Um, when I got hired for a shoot, there's no anxiety about having to do it because beforehand I would walk into a job and feel like a fraud. I figured well, someone's going to figure me out soon enough. Yeah.
0: That's a common the imposter syndrome is a common thing with
1: just about everybody.
0: Yeah, I, I still get it sometimes. <laughs> I think I started so naively in this and it went it flipped from being naive to just not knowing. And so a lot of stuff I that did because I didn't know I couldn't and I had no one telling me no. And so that that's that's good because mm-hmm. no one's discouraging you or no one's telling you no. But also I can't think a side product of that is that you don't know any better and you're doing things you probably shouldn't be doing. Sometimes I can remember specifically doing a magazine cover and it was a band and I was really trying to emulate uh, Annie Leibovitz a lot. I was trying to rip her off and we made suits out of Christmas wrapping paper, that whole thing. I think I was trying to do the David Byrne leaf suit that she made that one time. That's pretty clever. And so I made that and the lighting just wasn't great. We were using, gosh, we were using Norman lights that were 400 watt seconds and it just wasn't a lot. So it was almost like our technical knowledge and our ideas just weren't matching up yet.
1: Was it, was the light not working for you or did everyone say these are horrible?
0: No, I think it was work. It wasn't working for me. It was too basic. And I can remember looking at it thinking this is super basic, but they were, the client was happy. It was just, it was, it was lit. Well, I think you said that earlier. It was lit. Well, it just looked basic. It was flat and I hated it. Six years ago you felt like there was a moment of clarity where you felt like, yeah, this is, this is it. But when would, can you remember when you were first happy with your work?
1: Like really happy with it? Oh man. Actually, it's when I was really happy. I think it was when I photographed Gavin Creel, the uh, Broadway actor. Oh, yeah. Remember? Yeah, he won a Tony. He won an Olivier Award. And I got the opportunity to photograph him. And he had no idea I was going to photograph him. But I had gone to the theater and had set up. He was singing at an event. and I had an idea to get a, a Shakespearean... Is it Shakespearean or Elizabethan? Anyway, 1400s collar I rented from another theater. And bought, Elizabethan, yeah, Elizabethan, and I bought a uh, human skull replica. <laughs> Which, by the way, when, when my when my accountant saw the receipt for a human skull replica, <laughs> <laughs> Scott, I need to ask you about the human skull. <laughs> and I said, you think that's weird? What do you see? The you know, Croucho glasses, <laughs> but I was. I like that because the lighting on that was flat but contrasty. So I had the best of both worlds. And I like the mm. concept, too, because you could just you could photograph somebody who sings, give him a microphone and put him in front of a uh, of a curtain. Yeah, he's a singer. We get it. OK. But I thought it was being a little more ironic with it. Uh, he was very Shakespearean, but he was very comical at the same time. You, he was in Book of Mormon. So. He's a comedic actor. Yeah. Yeah. You know
0: what, Scotty? I think that's too soon. I think six years is too soon. I think one of the first times I ever saw something that I liked that you did was Lyle Lovett. The shot you did of Lyle Lovett. And that's not six years ago. That's much longer
1: ago. Dude. How long ago was that? Early 2000.
0: So I think you... It's funny, and I think this is the confidence thing, like you were saying. I think you arrived much sooner than you thought you arrived. I think you were doing great work much sooner than you think you did. That was my first celebrity, so I'm surprised I got that. It's a wonderful shot. It's one of my favorites, and it worked so well with his outfit because he was wearing a tuxedo. That's right. And I remember specifically he was wearing a white tie. White tie, white shirt. Oh, it was so dope. He always likes your stuff on Instagram. Hey, he does. Unsolicited too. <laughs> that's that's cool. He probably has no idea it's you. But, um, oh, he, he to does. He knows, it's, <laughs> he knows it's me. So that was something that I thought. See, I, I see it that way. You don't see it that way, but I see it that way. And that most of us, honestly, are probably doing just fine much sooner than we ever thought. If you go back and look at some of my early work that I would be embarrassed to show you, there's probably a decent couple of images in there I, A couple of years ago i had the opportunity to teach a class online for nobechi creative out of japan and the presentation was on build, building your dream portfolio so i had to go back and dig out all my early stuff and it was really embarrassing but somebody said later or george might have said later they were like your early stuff still not embarrassing you know what i mean it's not as embarrassing as you think it is and that's kind of the same it's the same thing i think we're all embarrassed of our early work but you know there was some there were some nuggets in there man like um, i think i started technically i started in 92 almost 93 and by 97 i had shot george martin the producer of the beatles mm-hmm. records that to me that's a pretty early shot for that for a career and that stuff is absolutely timeless. I believe it was his Lifetime Achievement Award. They put it behind him when he accepted the Grammy Award, like a Lifetime Achievement Award. And so, good grief, how could you not be proud of something like that? Now, did your career take off after that image?
1: Or no. was it already, you're already on your way up?
0: No, I think it was Dave Matthews, which was right around that same time. I think once the Dave Matthews image hit, that's when the career trajectory really took off because I was, that image was everywhere. And it's funny cause I can show that image to this day and every Dave Matthews fan knows what it is, but Dave was huge for a little while and that really helped. It was like, honestly getting on a number one song as even a co-writer, you know what I'm saying? It was, that's what mm-hmm. that was like. I just got on a number one song and it, it hit and when it hit, And what I didn't know was when I did the photo shoot with him and Tim Reynolds, they were on their live at Luther college tour and it was just an acoustic tour with him and Tim Reynolds before he joined Dave Matthews band and they were friends and they went on tour and guitar world acoustic had me, they tried to get me to shoot it in Nashville, but they ran out of time and permission and couldn't get it worked out in time. So I ended up going to the palace theater in Louisville and shooting Dave Matthews and Tim Reynolds at the palace theater, which is the most beautiful theater I think I've ever been into this day. And it was incredible and shot all these shots. And I kept thinking I'm going to get them together, but I'm also going to shoot them separately. I was like, Hey Tim, I'm going to shoot shots of you just by yourself. So I was clickety clack, clickety clack. And then I was like, Dave, I just need to get some shots of you by yourself. But I made sure to put Tim first and everything to make it look like I wasn't having preferential treatment towards Dave. So I would shoot Tim here and then I would do another one I would come up with the next setup and I would go hey Tim you first and I would get him and then I would shoot Dave okay Dave now you and so I put Dave second Dave second Dave second and I think I did that on purpose as like a strategy move so that they didn't think I was trying to just shoot photos of Dave which I was and yeah. no one knew it but the following year he came out with a solo record and it was just the right place at the right time and no one had any photos of him by himself it was always him in the band Him and the band. And so that's how that worked out, but I was ready. And the shot, really famous shot of him, he's doing a karate move on me. He's like doing this. That's the one that everyone saw, and he it's another reason that you have to be almost ready at all times, having your camera aimed at the right direction because I had it up, and he just did a karate move really quick, and I hit it right when he did it. And because he, he was just funny, because he's funny. And uh, that was a great day. But that's what sent me into the stratosphere after that, because it was a lot easier to get a lot of different jobs and work and stuff like that after that. It just it was a noticeable difference.
1: It, it blows me away before I shot any celebrity. It just blew me away that anybody ever photographs a celebrity. You see their photos everywhere. Someone has to yeah. take them. Just blows me away that anybody would ever have that opportunity. And I remember when I saw that, I was super jealous. Such a great shot. And I see it everywhere well, still. Yeah. I yeah.
0: Photography you showed me that one photo, the band that you photographed or wanted to or going to photograph in Austin, I think. They had it on their practice wall. Yeah. It was like a painting that somebody put on a canvas and Some it was the same of mosaic, photo of him with the red background of yeah. that. And it just blows me away too. What all photographers hear this, and Scott will attest to this. You are the one that has leverage. You. You have leverage. You're the one that creates the images. You are the one that has the camera and the one that takes the photo and the one that knows what they're doing. Even if it's just more than the people that you're there with. And you are the one that has leverage, and that gives you power, and that gives you all the you have all the moves. You've got all the leverage. You can ask for however much you want to ask for. You can never give those photos away. Never let somebody take that and own the copyright to those images. You're the creator. Always know that you have the most leverage of anyone, even like even a star, like you're saying, like a celebrity. They need us. They have to get their photo taken. They will try to take that from you. You have to keep it, and you have all the leverage. I think people have been convinced by social media, Instagram, or whatever, just by celebrity itself, that they don't have any rights to anything, and it's just not true. You as a photographer or creator, you have all the leverage. You always will, and I've tried to hammer that home. People, I think, have just given up in a lot of ways. They just feel like if this star has got a bigger lawyer than me, doesn't matter how big their lawyer is, you are – Copyright law is so strong and you can win it so easily if you do the right things and you get the right paperwork and have things set in place. They cannot contest you. And I'm telling you, you've got more power than you think you do. And people just don't know that. They just don't know it. Preach it, yo. I'm just, you know, it just kind of gets old after a while. People rip off, rip us off. You know, we don't have a retirement plan in the photography community. There aren't any unions for us. There's only a person that the only person that's going to take care of you is you. And you got to do it. You got to do it. And I don't know, Scott, yeah, you actually got to resell some of your stuff too. A lot of your images you got with Retina, same Mm -hmm. way. And then you actually did shoots for Retina for a while. Retina was one of these agencies like Tony Stone or other stock agencies that would use your images that you shot for something. As long as you own the rights to it, you could resell it through them. Or they would have you go out on shoots, like a lot of red carpet, a lot of different setups. What were some of the shoots you did
1: with Retina? Actually, I was lucky enough to shoot for a billboard magazine. That's right. I did a lot of work for them. A billboard, a radio monitor, magazine. It was mainly those two. I Rare was it that I shot a, a red carpet. I think I did one, maybe two. but
0: There were other people for that. You were more of the portrait guy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'd rather be what that. Were
0: some of the, what were some of the shots you did for billboard? Do you remember?
1: Oh, it was just record executives. It wasn't. Mm. It was the guy who started the uh, the Americana Fest, or uh, right? Uh, oh, actually, uh, Tony Brown from, from uh, MCA at the time. That's right. And because of him, that shoot—that's how I managed to get the Lyle Lovett shoot.
0: Oh, okay, that so makes all,
1: sense. Uh, yeah, it will work. Yeah, because yeah, he was Lyle Lovett was on MCA at the time. These agencies have pretty much
0: gone the way of the dinosaur now. But man, those were the glory days. We had somebody that was almost like a song plugger for us uh, that would sell or resell our images and negotiate prices and stuff like that. And it was all over the place. You never knew what you're going to get. It was like our version of mailbox money. I know a lot of songwriters call that mailbox money. And it was just stuff that would show up. You never knew it was going to show up, and you'd get a check. And it was awesome. You'd just like go to your mailbox, and you'd be like, what?
1: On the flip side of that when you are looking through a magazine and you see your image and there's no check in the mail.
0: Exactly. And then you got to track it down. You got to chase it down.
1: Well, that happened all the time. You I, to, I told you when Cracker Barrel bought one of my images from retina of George Jones. Yeah. For his greatest hit CD in Cracker Barrel. Yep. Remember how much I got paid? Nope. $60 for an album cover.
0: You can barely get two people's meals at their restaurant for $60. Yeah. That is some honky bullshit. Yeah.
1: We have since parted ways.
0: Yeah. They've also left this earth, I think. Yeah.
1: They've left this mortal coil. What's sad, though, is that I really needed that $60. <laughs> <laughs> I was well, on the about up- cashing the check, but I needed the 60 bucks. But they claim retina was was splitting everything down the middle. So according to Retina, an album cover image goes for $120. Yeah. Which is horseshit. We both know that. Oh, man.
0: They need to take that $60 they made and go buy some more crack with that. What's
1: crazy is that I actually bought the CD because I saw my photo. I'm like, holy shit. It's my photo. So I spent $13 on the damn thing, opened it up. It has my name, has Retina. I call Retina. Oh, we'll send you a check out and get the 60 bucks. So, Scotty, what would you say? What would you say
0: were some of the kind of like eureka moments you had while we were working together? Like, I think you said the the softbox thing or the mixing light thing was a big deal for you. What's been one of the big deals lately? What are some things that you've changed in your game recently that you've never had in your game before?
1: Uh, One thing that. uh it's changed things for me is actually trusting in my instinct. Sound
0: like though, is that you talking to yourself going, you know what? I know what I'm doing. It's science at this point. I need to trust the science because when you do this same or similar thing, you do this or a plus B equals C type of thing, this is going to work out kind well, of thing. Is it something like that? Or is it just like you just trust in your skills?
1: I just trust it in my instinct. And, you know, I, I realized that I got to stop asking the clients questions. They hire me to do a job. And they hire me for my opinion, and I just shoot it. Now, if they want to give me their opinion while I'm shooting, that's fine. But I've just learned to trust that instinct. Um, and as far as you're concerned, dealing with you, because of you, I've actually learned to embrace the shadow as well. Because that mm-hmm. used to be – I used to over-position lights, and I would get in weird positions to to make sure there's no shadow at all. Yeah.
0: But I still find myself struggling with that, trying to not ha- have a shadow in a photograph, and then you just have to
1: embrace it. No, just I, think it embrace it. It. I think it adds to it. Yeah. The way I shot uh, George Jones, there was a shadow at the very bottom right-hand corner, mm. and for years I obsessed about that. Like, Why is there a shadow down there? But actually, it it, it works very well, because he's, he's got his hands together, his heads down, and just the light comes from, from the top left and drops off at the bottom right. And it looks good. And it took me years to embrace that. And I'm, I'm still doing that. I'm embracing the shadow. It's okay.
0: So Scott of the Photo When Taken podcast, we've done this since season one, and that is we asked the following three questions. So, question one. What was the photograph for you? And it may have been a shoot for you, not just a photograph, but What was the photograph for you that where you thought, yeah, this is the direction I'm going to go in? This is, I'm liking this. This is where I want to go.
1: I feel that I got traction about six years ago. But the one shot that I took that I knew I was onto something was when I photographed uh, Shigeru Miyamoto, the Mm -hmm. game developer for Nintendo who created Mario. Mm -hmm. That was only, that was only three years ago so i google him he developed mario and legends of zelda and i think was it star fox yeah is that one too yeah so i told this guy i'm going to show up with my camera and we're going to take some photographs i didn't even ask him i just brought a background and some lights but i had two days to come up with the concept for this guy wow and I decided to find a Mario character chessboard. Mm -hmm. It cost me $40 (laughs) at Target. (laughs) I had my son set up the pieces because if I took a picture of this chessboard and the pieces were wrong, I was going to hear about it. But I did a test shot of my son. And when Miyamoto got there, I showed him the test shot. And he told his English speaking handler, let's do it. And I don't know. I I personally believe the pictures are gold. It's just, I do too. I do too. It's got a lot of whimsy. I love the lighting. I love the subject. And quite honestly, my friends who haven't heard from in years, when they saw that, they thought it was a freaking rock star. They showed up. They did. And they're gone. But.
0: you and I always and have for years we've talked about ideas and we like one of us will call the other one we talk about what the shoot is and we develop the ideas together and I was I think I was just so proud of you because I believe this is the one where you didn't we we talked briefly about it but I barely knew who he was I knew how much he loved comedy and you told me stories about how you would go up and do open mic nights like at Zanies, or at least attempt to do it and I just always wanted you to be able to do that for yourself because you and I have loved comedy. I think we love that almost more than we love music and music's like second. And as photographers, we're always talking about niching down, how important that is to do that because that really helps you develop your style. And it honestly, people can hire you for something based on your look or your style or your genre and the things that you love to do. And it separates you from the pack a little bit when you, do that, people notice you for this thing. Now that doesn't mean that you can't be versatile. Doesn't mean that you can't shoot all types of stuff. I've actually had a career that was like that, where I was shooting many different things. But for you, we just—I don't know—we started talking about this as a thing for you. I don't know about four or five years ago, just niche niching down, and uh, this is what you love the most. Shoot it. It it just works. It's wonderful. And this was—I don't know—that this shot of how do you say his last name Miyamoto? I don't know that this was funny necessarily, but it has some humor built into it. And he's funny and he was having a good time with it. So we're always trying to pick the road less travel for sure on this because there's a lot of cliches photographers fall into. But we all do these cliches. What are some of the cliches you can't stand?
1: I can't stand the sports cliche where if you have a ball, you have to hold it towards the camera. That's it got one second
0: you mean this shot's gonna be...
1: hate it yeah. hate it
0: or here's the other one click yeah click spinning it anything like that just man.
1: it's been it's been done to death and Too when death. I, when i uh when i shoot senior portraits and if someone plays a sport we can't have that i know we can't you hired me to be creative i'm gonna be creative for you i'm gonna i'm gonna outshoot your expectations trust me We also know the cliche.
0: We watch it and we see it, and sometimes we make fun of it. Sometimes we're like, "Uh, you know, I wish I'd done that too.
1: Or, you know, sometimes it's
0: fine to do cliche too, just to not get away from
1: it. If you can do it to to mock the proceedings, yes.
0: All right. Let's get to the other question. What shoot, Scott, what shoot got away from you? What shoot did you have planned that didn't work or just got canceled or just didn't happen and really disappointed you?
1: Uh, I remember the rap group. Yin Yang Twins. Oh, yeah. I got hired by Entertainment Weekly to go, to the, go with them to three strip joints in Atlanta. Because what they do is, when they drop a song, <laughs> they let the strippers... If the strippers can't dance to it, they don't release it. They have to retool it. So that's where they that's test their songs. Yeah, strip joints. Went to oh, was it Body Tap, Magic City, some other place. So I was in a strip joint and I had this, you remember that uh, there was a sunlight ring light. Remember that? Yep. It went on the end of the lens. Yep. Was not, was not a powerful sun pack, light. Sunpack. pack. Sun pack. Yep. was not, was not a
0: powerful light at all. Nope. I used one like it on ludicrous, the shot of ludicrous. that I've got. I think I used the, used the same, same one. one. I you did. Yeah. That's funny. I shot that in Atlanta at the Ritz hotel and then cut to what a couple of years later and <laughs> use it. I'm in body tap. It really wasn't. You know, it originally it was used for dental photography. That's what that flash was made for or created for. It was dental photography. They would have to take, you've seen the pictures that up close of someone's teeth or whatever. And that, that's what that flash was originally made for. That sun pack, sun pack flash was made for that. And we ended up using it for music. We ended up using it in the strip clubs
1: the problem was though is that light wasn't strong enough no it so, wasn't it wasn't very really bright so I, I had the two wrappers up against the wall upstairs at magic city and the light just didn't look good yeah but i was more concerned about just getting the shot and getting out of there because it felt like i just i didn't know what i was doing yeah um, but the uh, i remember more specifically their manager joe wiggins joe's like hey man do you need anything else I'm like, no, I'm good. He's like, you sure? You don't need anything else. I'm like... That's what he said to you? Yeah. I said, no, dude, we are good. And then we left. What the... What is that? My light went out.
0: Oh, did it die? Yeah. Like the power?
1: Yeah. Oh, boy. We can still still talk, right? (laughs) Yeah, in the dark.
0: That's fine. Let's do it. Oh, you nutbag oh what does it take i've
1: got multiple rings right here oh, no i got so as we were leaving and i was reviewing the photos i realized these, they just didn't look great they looked flat the ring light didn't do what it was supposed to do because it just wasn't strong enough so it just i was not enough I
0: got, power no
1: i got no effect but the whole idea of us being in a strip joint even to this day what i wanted what i should have done I said, yeah, I want one more shot. I should have set up a light, which I could have, on the stage or between the first table and the stage and had the, the yin-yang twins at a table with money in their hand and their friends around them throwing cash out. And maybe you see like a random stripper's foot with a stiletto yeah. or just like that from the front and shoot them from the side. And I always regret that. I guess the only really good news is that nobody knows who the hell they are anymore. But it still would have been they a just very- disappear off the face of the earth? What happened to those guys? I don't know. But that's one shot I regret not taking. Was there a shot or just a shoot that just was
0: so crazy that you can't believe it yourself, like something that happened on a shoot
1: or something mm-hmm. that got away from you or something that just was insane that happened on a shoot? Oh, nothing was terribly insane. I did get run over by a high school football team.
0: <laughs> I don't know. I think a few people out here in the audience would probably think that that could be registered under the
1: insane category. I was working for a newspaper in, in Williamson County, and I was hired to shoot the day in the life of a football player.
0: Includes running over the photographer.
1: I forgot the guys. I forgot the guy's name, but he. He was voted Mister Football Williamson County that year, so I followed him immediately after school. Followed him and his girlfriend, and he and the team playing pool before uh, before a game. Anyway, the game was about to start, so I want to get a shot of the of the football team busting through that the the paper uh, the the banner that the cheerleaders were holding. Yeah, so like, yeah. A, so like a dummy, I think I stood about twelve feet in front of it, so they. Ran through to grab a couple shots, and then some lughead just drills me. And then, <laughs> as he does, the camera flies out of my hand. The camera lands, and the lens just splits in half, just like that. Wow! Yeah, he got my bell wrong too. But luckily, I wasn't there to shoot the game. I was just there to shoot the players. So that was the last shot that I took. Was some yeah. guy named 72 coming at me? Yeah. Um, luckily, the newspaper page replaced the, the shitty lens that was broken. That's nice. That's was, nice. Yeah. That, that's the first thing that comes to mind. That's funny. You know yeah.
0: what? My particular favorite was, was when we were shooting Brandon Slay, 2000. <gasps> oh,
1: 2000 yes. winner of the gold medal in Sydney. Because we'd gone to Texas several times. This was, we went specifically to, to shoot Brandon in Denton, Texas. Which is kind of a, a suburb of Dallas. Yeah. We did that specifically. So, yeah. Yep.
0: So we went out there, and it was just funny because I, I was much younger, and Scott was much younger, and we were kind of, I don't know, full of vim and vigor. And yeah. I just kind of did something like, I want you to take me down like you would if you were doing this for real. He told us exactly what he was going to do before he did it. Remember? He said he usually goes behind the leg, and he takes your leg out or legs out from underneath you. And then he goes, I'm going to use your arm to choke you with. (laughs) Remember you wrapped my arm around my head and then choked me with it. And then, um, he said, you know, told us to tap out. if We thought we were going to pass out and I didn't have to tap out, but I was waiting for Scott to take the damn photo. It took forever for you to take the photo. I was like, take the photo, take the photo. Cause I was on the ground getting choked. And then he did it to you. And then you almost
1: passed out. First of all, I I didn't I didn't know anything about having to tap out. I didn't, no, I didn't he hear didn't that discussion. That. Yeah, Scott did not tap out. Scott almost passed out. Yeah, he it, yeah he choked me with my own arm. He choked and you. It,
0: he used it, your arm wrapped around your neck and then choked you it. with it.
1: And, and you were too busy laughing to not take a photo. <laughs> sorry, I remember sorry. that. I, don't know.
0: Like, I wasn't sorry at the time. Like, oh my gosh, my that was yeah. such a and, funny shoot. Yeah, and
1: then after that, remember, we had to, for some reason, we had to drive back that night from gosh, Denton man. to Nashville. Because cr- and- I know
0: that's, so 10 hours is Dallas, and that was probably 11 hours. Yeah. Because that was another hour outside of Dallas.
1: Yeah. And I, I couldn't swallow because, because my throat was killing me.
0: <laughs> from him choking you?
1: Yeah. And, and oh we had no. Sw- and I remember I had some Dunkin' Donuts in the car. <laughs> and. <laughs> and uh, it was ice cold that at that point and we had gone to we'd driven a couple hours east went to a speedway or something and i asked the guy remember i asked the guy can you use your your, your microwave to heat this up (laughs) and he goes sure (laughs) so i put it in there and after a minute it explodes (laughs) (laughs) Uh, that's crazy why didn't we fly we should have flown i don't know i think it was a trip before. You and I, were, we went through Jackson, Mississippi. We went through, I think, Beaumont. We made yeah. our way through Houston, San Antonio, and Austin. So we were just doing a bunch of shoots. That's when we shot uh, Chris Tomlin, I think. And it was just, just a trip around Texas. Yeah. And we stopped at whatever hotel we stopped at. We're having breakfast. still dark outside. And for some reason, there was a plate of cookies in the lobby. <laughs> And they're peanut butter cookies. And
0: oh man, I used to try to get you to eat peanut butter
1: cookies all the time.
0: And I just, I, I don't like. He peanut hated cookies. peanut butter cookies. I don't know why. I tried to get
1: him to eat peanut butter. I cookies. still do. But anyway, <laughs> it came to a head. And you're like, yeah, but these are r- like the best I've ever had. These I'm like, are the best I've ever had at a hotel. Yeah. And my response was, how is the best? At it's something that I hate. Make it better. <laughs> so I'm like, let's just. That Valid yes. point. So I said, let's just go. So Alan, he takes his cookie, takes his cup of milk, and the front doors, it was, it's not just a front door, it's like a little, like a foyer. You got two sets of double doors back to back. So <laughs> I walked through the first door and let it go. <laughs> and Alan was leading with the cup, leading with his arm with the cup in the hand, and then as soon as the door <laughs> swung back, he just it was like out. a
0: milk explosion <laughs> inside that little oh. portico. Anyway, it made it funny. all worth it. Oh, good, good times. The interesting thing that you and I have been doing for the longest time for ourselves, and, and specifically, I wanted I wanted to help you with this too, because that was something that I had developed for myself, which is the niching down part. And I just honestly want to wanna teach a little bit more. I want to do workshops a little bit more. And honestly, there's a lot of uh, our industry that's drying up and a lot of our industry that I just don't want to do anymore. Not because I don't like it, not because I don't think I could do it or not because I don't enjoy it. Just because I want to really specifically help photographers who are in the middle. They've done this for a while. They've hit their own glass ceiling. They're not happy with their work or they're not happy with the money that they make. And I feel not obligated, just passionate about helping photographers. And that's something I did with Scott. It's something Scott and I, worked on because I only wanted the best for him as my friend. Uh, And so I wanted him to make the money. I wanted him to be happy with his work. I wanted him to be able to push all the things that he truly wanted into photography because I know what happens. I've seen it happen when you don't make the money you want to make, when you don't get to do the jobs and the work that you want to do, people burn out and they quit because it's only either about the money or it's about the art. And they never make any money and they have to get a job and they have to do something else and then ends up pulling them away from the thing that they love. I want to help influencers. I want to help the people that are in the middle of the pack where they're probably a portrait photographer. They're working with family and working with weddings and working with artists and different things like that. But they haven't reached that upper echelon level. I'm really passionate about the middle, the people that are stuck. Um, I've been stuck. You've been stuck. So coming up in the fall, I'm going to be dropping some teaching modules. We've been working on this for almost a year and I'm really excited about it, arranging it into this bundle so that people can get to that next level, whether it's a career level or whether it's a tech level where they feel like they want to increase their lighting, increase their camera skills. I really appreciate you coming on today, Scott, and just being vulnerable enough to talk about your career and your build and All the things that you've had to do to take those chances and take those risks is I think you have. I think you, like all of us, have to build up that confidence. You just need a little bit of encouragement. You need to increase your skill set with lighting or just learning all the things that I've learned in my career. Scott's learned in his career. And so these teaching modules that are coming out, that's what my next thing is all about. You just developed along the way your niche and you developed the things that you really love. What's that been like for you? What do you feel... Really good about like, some of the comedy stuff that you're shooting now, and you're working more with comedians like almost every month.
1: Yeah, um, what I like what I like about I like about the about the comedians, and if I can add any kind of humor into a photograph, is that there really are no rules to that. No, you know, if, if you're shooting a wedding, people have an idea what they want. You know, there are no rules when you shoot with a little bit of humor, and I've been lucky enough to put humor into photos that aren't just of comedians. And again, there's no rules. So, so I can do whatever I want. And it's just, if it's witty enough, if it's irreverent enough, I'll get my point across. And I really enjoy that. I think people take photography too seriously sometimes. And that's good. But, you know, that's that's really not me. I've said for years, yeah. I just want to take pictures well enough so people will like me. You know, and, <laughs> and I actually was hired by a comedian recently who hired me specifically for my style. That's what he told me. That's awesome. Like,
0: That's wow, great, man. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I it's just, I don't know. It, when people say they're funny, you never believe them. And so I, I hesitate to say that I am, but I know what funny is. Mm. I feel more confident saying that. And I don't know. I just like throwing just shit to the wall, see what sticks. And <laughs> I've been very lucky in that regard. I like seeing your
0: personality a lot show up in your work. I think it's great. And people, I think, you think you're being hired because you have a camera or you're being hired because you've got technical skills. I think you're being hired because you have personality and it shows up in your work and it separates you from everybody else. I think that's what it is. An idea is so powerful, and I think people respond to great ideas and respond to funny. Just Thanks like they that. See. <clears throat> and so I think that's what's wonderful about what you're doing. Thanks, man. That makes me happy to hear that. That's great. It's, uh, you know, what Sam Abel talks about a lot with in his courses and when he gives talks. And he talks about fully realized ideas. Like he'll say, that's not quite fully realized yet. And that's actually a really good way to say something when it's not quite there. He's saying that it's not fully realized, it hasn't grown yet. And I've always loved the way that he says that. And it's fun to see your stuff fully realized because, man, Some of the stuff like your son with the squirt gun shooting Eli in the head in the pool is one of the funniest. I just think it's one of the funniest photos (laughs) of all time. It just, it it would work. If you wanted to do an ad with that or you wanted to send that into one of the APA contests or something like that, I'm pretty sure you'd win with it or at least place with it. Ah. And I've always felt really that image is so much stronger than you give it credit for. Thanks. And I love this. I love that we've been able to grow both of our careers together and I've also loved just helping you along the way. It's been fun. Yeah, it has been. So, are we are
1: we breaking up now or let
0: Yeah, I've got bad news. <laughs> <laughs> are are I, you yeah. seeing another photographer? <laughs> I'm seeing not just one but two other mm. photographers. Anyway, all this to say, Scott, I really appreciate you coming on and talking about what you've done in your career.
1: This is my pleasure. Are you going to Venmo me or what no. PayPal? Yeah, uh, checks in the mail. Checks in the mail, buddy. Nah, dude. Thanks for having hey. me. It's been awesome. You guys, thanks for watching. This
0: probably went on a little bit longer, but I haven't done a podcast in quite a while. Tune in for more. Like, share, follow, and just give us a good rating if you can. Appreciate you guys listening. More stuff come coming down the pike. I've got more photographers, more artists, and a lot of how-to type of stuff that we're going to put out on our channel on this podcast. So, thank you guys. We'll see you soon.